Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're in the world of chocolate, chocolate bars, baking chocolate, Everything chocolate. I I was trying to rack my brain of the 350 plus episodes we've had. I don't think we've had anybody on talking about this category, and I am so excited about it. I you guys are gonna love the brand and the the leader we have on today, Paul Sherry. He is the CEO of Scharfenberger. Paul, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm glad you're here. And I said your name right. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so great having you here on the podcast. I had so much fun getting to know you uh, before today and preparing for today. And then um, before we even hit record, I, I just really appreciate you making the time. Um, I'm excited about the brand and um, this space. And I've got so many questions for you. And our audience will be really fascinated, I think, when when they hear from you. Um, share a little bit about your background though, before coming into this drill. I know you you, you spent time in the consumer product space with Concord for confections and tops and others. Share a little bit of that with our audience before we get to Scharfenberger. Sure, sure. It's a um, pretty simple story, actually. I, I, like you, am very much a consumer goods guy. I love it. Uh, started, started my career in brand management at Kraft, uh, ran a bunch of uh, storied brands like Jell-O and Kool-Aid and uh, had an absolute blast. And it was sort of the graduate school of marketing as I refer to it. At Kraft. <laughs> Love it. And, and, and um, learned a ton, worked for some incredibly capable folks. And then not long after that, uh, I guess I was about a decade into the game at Kraft left and with a financial partner, uh, got into the bubblegum business of all things. Wow. And so um, it was really quite an incredible ride. I I was, you know, sort of prided myself on being a bit of a a kid marketer and understanding uh, kids and kid brands. And so lo and behold, we identified a fantastic little gem of a brand, which was something you'll remember as a kid, which was double bubble bubblegum. I love it. I love and, that. Yeah, no, if you can't have fun in the bubblegum business, <laughs> there's something so very cool. sadly wrong with you. So it was, oh my gosh, yes, it was such a ride. So we bought this broken, bleeding brand out of bankruptcy. and. Um, it was about a $28 million revenue brand at the time, bleeding red, um, very, very sadly had been mismanaged over an extended period of time. And as I sort of referred to it, kind of dusty, but there was sure. just this, there was just this innate brand equity that was undeniable. Like everybody from eight-year-olds to 80-year-olds, everybody had their double bubble story. So anyway, we, we bought this business. It was broken. Um, and it just became a case study. We, we basically did two things really, really well. First of all, we fixed the cost structure. So we picked it up from this old, decrepit factory that had been around forever. 
and we moved all the production up to Canada where we could take advantage okay. of world sugar pricing. And, uh, and so we did that and immediately in doing so got a significant advantage. Uh, and why in terms was of world that? Sugar. Well, it, was, it, it really had to do with world sugar pricing and w- without boring you with any too many details. Sure. In the United States, there existed then and exists today sort of an artificially high price for sugar to protect domestic U.S. sugar producers. Whereas in the Canadian market, there, uh, there really wasn't such an animal. So we bought in Canada, we bought sugar on the world market, which at the time was about 30% less expensive. So immediately we got this dramatic improvement in raw material costs wow. on, as you can appreciate, there's a little bit of sugar in no. Bell Low. <laughs> right. and, and so we immediately got this enormous uh, benefit from world sugar pricing and then secondarily got a tremendous benefit from foreign exchange because all of our costs were effectively in Canadian dollars Inside. and a vast majority of our revenue was, of course, in U.S. dollars. So the combination of this foreign exchange favorability plus this world sugar completely <laughs> transformed the PL right out of the gate. Wow. And and then we and then we started driving the uh, the volume. So it, it was an unbelievable ride. So that's so you know, cool. This, yeah, this this broken, bleeding $28 million business. Uh, about eleven years later, it was a beautifully profitable $160 million wow. business that we sold to the Tootsie Roll company. <laughs> right. And uh that's so it, cool. it was, yeah, it was a great ride. It was, it was, it was, you know, taking all the, you know, skills, uh, experience gained from managing these big monster billion-dollar brands like sure. Kool-Aid, sure, and applying them to much smaller uh, brands, and in this case, Double Bubble, which um, <laughs> was just a blast. Oh my gosh, I, I could write a book about it. it was That's so, much so fun. cool, and maybe you should. Um, and uh, you know, this is a, an industry that loves to learn from the past. And and, and oh, by the way, while pro- has progressed, they're still dealing with a lot of the same uh, legacy issues that the industry's had over time. So I mean, like I, I don't know, it's really really fun to be in this space. Um, and you know, I was thinking I've never had I haven't had anybody on yet in the bubblegum space. I gotta I gotta figure that one out. Um for oh the podcast. My gosh. It, good, it is good it's a blast. I mean, it is such a fun space. I, yeah. I have wonderful, wonderful memories of it. And look, it's not that far off the market of chocolate, right? If you right. can't love the chocolate business, there's something <laughs> wrong with something you. Something wrong with that. So okay, so fast forward a bit. How did you land here in the chocolate business? Yeah, th- this is another great story. So uh, one of my old colleagues from Kraft was a very, very capable woman. And if you can imagine, we were assistant product managers together about 100 years ago sure. on, the, on the Jell-O business. And, um, and, and she was a very capable lady then and went on to be a very, very successful executive. And she's now the CEO of Hershey. Oh, wow. and, uh, and, and so she... Um, uh, Hershey owned this obscure uh, little brand that was, you know, dwarfed by the monster brands right. uh, within, the, <laughs> within the Hershey portfolio. Sure. And um, but it too, like the Double Bubble brand, was this little gem that had this latent brand equity that I, I just recognized as undeniable. So anyway, I, I kept at her and, 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 and suggested to her that she should sell me the business because it was such a misfit for Hershey. You know, Hershey is very much a 
uh, a company of global monstrous brands like, you know, Reese's and Hershey and sure. all the brands. And, and, and so this was just a, a little brand that just got lost in the shuffle. So, you know, to her credit, she made good on her commitment and uh, sold me the Scharfenberger business along with Dagoba and uh, this little division that Hershey had created called Artisan Chocolate. Interesting. And so okay. uh, we, we acquired the, the Artisan Chocolate division from Hershey. And the gem in that portfolio was the Scharfenberger chocolate brand, which in and of itself had this unbelievable story. Right. And, and you know, I didn't, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know much of the story. Um, the, what the original founder is John Scharfenberger. Um, yeah. Which in and of itself is a wonderful thing that there's a real live human being. Right. Exactly. Who, who is responsible for this. And he's involved. Is that right? I mean, it, yeah. It, and so was he involved though at the beginning or did he come back in as you split out the business? Like, what? that look like yeah so john it just again fantastic story john is a fascinating guy uh he was actually a winemaker by trade and uh launched a wine business back in the 1980s and uh really a fascinating guy he basically was the guy who was responsible for picking up the champagne method of winemaking in france (laughs) interesting and bringing and, and bringing it to california and, and so he built a very, very successful wine business uh, throughout the 1980s, uh, which he would ultimately build and sell to LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. Right, of course. The big, uh, yep. big French, very familiar. French luxury goods company. So John uh, then retired for about a week and uh, decided that he was going to put his uh, expertise and palate as a winemaker to work in the chocolate business. And, um, and once again, took his inspiration from France and went over to France and studied chocolate making and learned chocolate making and came back to the United States and launched Scharfenberger Chocolate Maker, which was just uh, you know such an interesting thing because all of that expertise that he had gained and this incredible palette that he had gained in uh, his experience in the wine business was a perfect place to redirect it in chocolate. So he was, you know, back in Berkeley in, uh, you know, I guess it would have been sort of uh, early 90s. He, uh, he starts a chocolate business and, and, and really begins an industry because before that, he was really the very first bean to bar artisan sort of craft chocolate maker in the United States. Wow. And he spawned, he spawned an industry. I mean, this is like 25 <laughs> years ago. Who and knew, he, you know, he, he wow. spawns an industry and right out of the gate, these products that he created were absolute critical uh, successes. People just absolutely loved them. And the business grew very, very quickly because the products were just so incredible and uh, and then sure enough, once again, uh, the Hershey Company shows up and just won't take no for an answer. And John <laughs> ends up selling his business to the Hershey Company. Wow. And I guess that would have been sort of 2006-ish. And so once again, lightning struck twice for John. First of all, he sells this incredible uh, wine business to LVMH. And then fast forward a few years later, he he founds and, and grows and then ultimately sells his chocolate business to the Hershey company. So wow. good on him. So yeah, good, the, nice job. <laughs> the, 
Oh yeah. yeah. No, I mean, he just, he's a fascinating guy. And, and so when I bought the business, he was long since removed. Right. Of course, from and business. it had probably changed a lot. I'm guessing having been oh, owned by I a big brand, you know, for, yeah, bore no resemblance as you can right. imagine yeah. this, this founder driven business right. versus then goes into the hands of Hershey <laughs> old school. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then goes into the hands of Hershey and just, it bears no resemblance <laughs> no. to the, the business that he started. I'm not surprised. But, but, but that being, as it said, he, he, you know, it, it, I couldn't help myself but to try and sort of seek him out, which I did when we bought the business. And he was, of course, over the moon that now there was actually somebody like him with a founder mentality that now owned the brand and gave a damn. Right. And uh, exactly. And and so I, of course, immediately invited him back into the fold. And so you know, he has since. Uh, since we bought the business has become an advisor and just somebody who I routinely lean on for counsel. And I just love the guy. Like he's just, he, he's a consummate entrepreneur Wow! and just has this, this wisdom about him that is undeniable. So he and I become uh, fast friends. Love that. Um, love that. Yeah. And I, he's just, he's just a, um, a wonderful, wonderful guy. And I'm just so proud to have him re-involved in the business that bears his name. Right? I mean, this is his namesake right. business. It's of, like his last yeah, name of is the name of the damn. business, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and where, okay, that's so cool. But it's so nice to have that kind of advisor too. Um, and I'm sure you have others. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um, what is the market for chocolate today. What's the industry like for those that may not be familiar with this segment? Like what's the state of chocolate? Yeah, it's a good question. And and the answer is it's pretty buoyant. It's become quite a hot space. The, uh, the overall chocolate business is probably growing low single digits. Got it. But within that, and, and of course, is dominated by, you know, Mars. And right. Earth, <laughs> Certain and players. Nestle, yeah. Sort of folks. But but really what's gone on and where the opportunity lay for us is that people are generally speaking, consuming less chocolate, but better quality chocolate. Interesting. So okay. People in North America have finally figured out what the Europeans figured out generations ago, which is you know, the Hershey bar does not define the chocolate category right. any longer. People have <laughs> discovered real chocolate, right? People have discovered dark chocolate and oh, interesting chocolate and craft I like dark. chocolate. And, and, and once you've had real chocolate, it's really tough going back to a Hershey bar. So slowly but surely, people are kind of waking up to what real chocolate is that the Europeans have enjoyed for you know, generations. Sure. And so that's the part of the business that is growing uh, very, very aggressively because people are discovering it. People are, once you, once you've discovered it, it, it's just, that's the stuff that you migrate to. So that process is well underway. And um, so more and more and more people are enjoying better quality chocolate like Scharfenberger and primarily, you know, dark chocolate, which is really what we're all about. We're, we're not about milk chocolate. That's sort of the domain of the Hershey folks. Um, major transactions that have happened for smallish brands in the chocolate space. One was a brand called Hue, H-U, 
and uh, and the Hugh business traded to Mondelez for yes. an, an ungodly sum of money. Wow, uh, good for them. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good product and and uh, a good little brand. But I mean, the economics of this transaction were just off the dial. Like, wow. it, what what it, what it says to me is there's keen keen interest in the chocolate space from an investor perspective, not not to mentioned a consumer perspective. And then more recently, last, you know, literally in the last couple of weeks, there has been yet another transaction happen, a brand called Lily's Chocolate. Okay. And and uh, the Hershey folks have paid again an ungodly sum of money to acquire the Lily's chocolate business. And uh, again, the metrics <laughs> around that just are off the dial. So <laughs> wow. uh, Interesting. The, the, the short answer to your question is the chocolate business is very robust, uh, very buoyant, very frothy, and, um, and, and looks like a good place to be. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Um, as you brought, and thank you for helping to educate our, just our audience on the state of the industry. Um, as you, as the brand was extracted, I'll say from Hershey, um, what did you find that needed to be fixed, solved, changed, like, you know, tweaked, modified, kind of like you, you know, you talked about the bubblegum story earlier about moving the uh, production and whatnot, but like, what did that look like for, for this brand? Were there things that oh. needed to be changed or? Or dramatically or small, what did oh, it look like? Oh, oh my God! It <laughs> I was can't deja, it, it was deja vu all over again. Oh so the gosh. first issue, the first issue was, um, you know, just having to extract the manufacturing from right a, from Hershey, uh, right from a factory, a Hershey factory right. that happened happened to be in Illinois, and we literally picked up dozens of truckloads of manufacturing assets and had right, to pick them right. up and literally move them across the continent oh, to our geez. factory in Oregon. Oh my so gosh. Out of the gate, it was absolute mayhem because right. there was this uh, incredibly big undertaking to relocate to manufacturing. Wow. So that was, uh, that, that, <laughs> That was the number one priority because we had to literally physically relocate the manufacturing of the product. And, you know, that became probably an eight or 10 month ordeal sure. of, of moving equipment, then putting it back into service. Right. And, uh, oh, and, and, oh my gosh, you just, you never that underestimate. Not easy in, in general. <laughs> no, it was, it was not for the faith of heart, but the good news is I'm pleased to report that it went exceptionally well. We, we had some tremendously capable people around us and we got the job done. And, and I'm proud to say, not, not with any of my doing, but some very competent ops people and engineers around Absolutely. me. And, and we got this uh, very big undertaking done on schedule, under budget, which is just something that never happens. So that was the first issue that had to get resolved. We, we literally had to tear assets, manufacturing assets out of a Hershey factory, relocate wow. them, put wow. them back into service. And, and so that was, that was job number one. Job number two was just to get, you know, as, as, as trite as it sounds, just get back into business. Right. I mean, it's, people want to product this out in product, the market. Yep. but just getting, get, getting pipelines filled, getting customer service levels filled because there'd have been an extended period of time that 
Hershey had sort of ignored the brand. Right. So the, the second mission after moving the manufacturing uh, was just to get back into a position of inventory wow. such that we could get the, the, the retail pipeline filled and, you know, get some confidence around our supply chain. And, uh, and so that became the second mission. But, you know, truthfully, from a brand perspective, the product quality was spectacular. That's one wow. thing that Hershey didn't do is they didn't monkey with the product quality. It, it remains spectacular quality. That's, a, that's a plus. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a difference maker. And, sure. and again, don't take my word. From it. <laughs> Try but it yourself. What, yeah. what, what, I, what, I, what I routinely spout to anyone who who will listen to me is the, the famed and acclaimed food critic, Julia Child, called Scharfenberger chocolate not just the best chocolate in the United States, but amongst the best chocolate on the planet. Wow. And so that, that, was, that was unbelievable. And that was quite a testament to how good this stuff was. So we didn't really have to make a lot of changes from a product perspective. It was there and there in spades, and 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 there was just a lot of really good core equities, not the least of which was the product quality, that that were there and they were strengths, not problems. And so you know it, it really and, and it's so nice to see Justin too, just to be able to to watch customers' reactions, to watch consumers' <laughs> reactions bet. with the brand. Right. It's just the best because well, people have this enormous positive predisposition right they have an the expectation brand. right <laughs> yeah totally. yeah and it's great and and it, it really the the stuff delivers and then some so it's so fun there's such a again this was that core brand uh equity that i just i knew it i, I couldn't i couldn't point to it i couldn't hold it in my hand i couldn't touch it i couldn't but i just knew it existed and um and it does. It wow. really, really does. And when you see so you picked up operations, you get things up and running again, then, you know, you think about route to market and selling, like how, how do you guys go to market? Is it through distributors? Did you have distributors like wait, right, waiting with orders? Like what did that look like? Or did you have to go yeah. get proactive in the market again? Yeah, no, I mean, the good news is there were enough people with you know that 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 wanted the product that we right you had demand. we didn't have to go chase yeah. up demand the demand Got was it. there so it's already demand we perfect fulfill it so the answer to your question is yes we of course sell through you know through a network of distributors uh, you know folks like UNFI as an example absolutely yep. wonderful partners who get us into for example the natural trade but then we also do you know business directly with you know, large retailers as well. So, you know, as an example, people like uh, Wegmans and people like uh, HEB and all these uh, retailers who are really quite focused on quality products and, you know, slightly more premium products. Uh, so it's really a combination of distributors who in turn service smaller accounts, as well as direct to larger retailers who, who operate a lot of doors on their own. Well, interesting. And you've gone after, you know, from your what you said and looking at the packaging, you're going after the more premium market. Is that, would you say that? And if so, oh, like, yeah. how do you think about oh, the yeah. strategy versus the lower end? Yeah, no, we, 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 we have no interest in <laughs> trying to compete against Hershey right. and Mars. Right. And you guys can have that. Yeah. Yeah. This is, right. this is a different animal. So the people that really blazed the trail for Scharfenberger were really the Lint guys. The Lint guys for a very extended period of time really defined the premium chocolate category 
and 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 really have built quite an amazing business. I I, I won't probably have it exactly right, but the lint business in the United States is about a billion six now. Wow. So they have been very, very successful in North America. And, and so they have, they have kind of blazed the trail in part. They are not anywhere close to what I would call a craft or artisan chocolate, but they certainly took the price points and the product quality from, you know, Hershey and Mars to a new standard. And, and that was done you know, years ago. And then guys like John Scharfenberger showed up and again, took it to another standard again. So, you know, who'd have, who'd have thunk that, right. That, right. that, you know, there could be $5 chocolate bars, that right. there could be, God forbid, $10 chocolate bars. And who could pay so, that? Whew. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, there are those little gem brands. Yeah. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind is one from, uh, from San Francisco called Dandelion, which is this wonderful craft little brand. But it, it is tiny. It is really artisan, really sure. craft. But honest to God, these guys are charging and getting $10 for a chocolate bar. So we, we, we have no aspirations of pushing price points that high, but we surely have an expectation to be above the likes of Lint sure. and be able to trade, you know, our, our kind of sweet spot, if you will, pardon the pun, is in, in the <laughs> yeah, sort of nice. four, four to $5 range. Got it. Which which is sort of where we want to be and where, frankly, we think the product deserves to be. Sure. That's great. Um, for those who don't know, the global chocolate market size in 2019 was around $130 billion. Yeah, that's up with a B. Um, in 2020, uh, about 5 to 7% over that and growing year over year um, at a pretty good clip. I mean, wow, not, no small market. Interesting um, for those that may not just be in the space. Um as you think about building your brand, I'm sure you, my guess is with this kind of brand, you've got your loyal followers, those that know it, love it, find it, buy it. You know, how are you growing the the consumer base? So, the, how are you driving trial of your brand? Yeah, yeah. So, two two answers. To that the the answer is again, I, I just you know while we're going through diligence and in, in acquiring the business, it's really tough sometimes to get an understanding of what that consumer equity looks like. Sure. But let, let me lay this one on you because this speaks volumes. Our online sales, our e-commerce, direct to commerce, direct like to consumer. From your website? Uh, sales from, from a website. We enjoy 78% repeat purchase. Oh my so God. That's it, amazing. It's off the dial. It, it's absolutely That's where there's the good dial. margin, so, right? Your product doesn't exactly. weigh very so, much. So it's, it doesn't cost much to ship. <laughs> So, so what that says to me is once we get consumers, we keep consumers. That's awesome. The, they, 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 that is, you, you can't like, as a marketer, and you know this, as a marketer, you can buy trial, but you can't buy repeat. Repurchase. That's exactly right. And, and, and so for us, this is just such an important measure of brand health. That repeat purchase rate at 78% is just music to the ears of a marketer. So with that in mind, for us, the only thing that matters is not taking our 78 to 82. It's driving new consumers. Absolutely. To the driving top trial. of the funnel. Yep. Right. And so, you know, we, we, that, that has become our mission in life because once you, and believe me, I, I do this with just 
everybody that I get in here, once you get this stuff from people's mouths, they just, they become junkies. It, it's just, it, this stuff's like heroin. It is so <laughs> damn good wow. that people try it and, and, and they're hooked. So, you know, the, the notion of trial is really our primary tactic and um, and that's really all we're interested in doing. And it's been a bit of a challenge because trial vehicles in COVID times have, of course, been very challenging to do. You, you can't sample in stores, sure. at, you know, during COVID time. So our our number one tactic, unfortunately, has been, you know, impeded a bit during COVID. But look, sure. on a positive note, a lot of our business is baking chocolate. And the good news is during COVID, people were at home. And what did they do? They, <laughs> they did a lot of baking. <laughs> they did. They yeah. either discovered or no rediscovered doubt. baking. So while we kind of lost some ground, what I'll call in our traditional bar business, we gained back and then some in our baking uh, side of our business because people just were baking like crazy. And, and there were periods during COVID, you couldn't buy yeast, you couldn't buy flour, you couldn't buy sugar, you couldn't buy baking chocolate. People were just, it, it was it was a frenzy. So it, it's the, the baking piece of the business is another really critical component of the brand. And in many respects, if you are a serious baker, if you are a pastry chef, if you are a serious foodie, Scharfenberger is your go-to brand for baking. Wow. And so that's a really important component of our strategy is, yeah. is to focus on that baking. Yeah, piece. I was going to say there's that's two different consumer segments, really. You know, one is the, very okay, much so, you know, immediate very consumption so. and one is, you know, the, the chefs and bakers out there. Absolutely. Future consumption, as we used to call it at Coca-Cola. Um, that's really, really cool. I, you know, I love to ask our guests, you know, and you've got so much experience here. I love to ask our guests, uh, you know, some some of their top leadership lessons learned and or like building a brand lessons learned for for the other listeners that we've got here that are doing this you know they're, they're trying to many of them launching a brand a product a package a service or bringing uh or growing a, a chain or whatnot um what would be one or two things you'd offer as advice to our listeners as they're as they're out there you know pursuing growth and and trying to win over new consumers yeah i mean look th there's no single answer as you know to this, but I'll tell you one thing that comes to mind that is just undeniably important with every brand, but particularly this brand, which is just authenticity. There, there is just a genuine authenticity about the brand and the brand story. And, and again, I can take, to be very clear, zero credit for this. This was exclusively John Scharfenberger's doing, but his expertise from the wine business is what led him to be able to make fantastic chocolate products, fantastic chocolate formulations. And so this, this authenticity that really was from the founder is what's so important here. And, and my mission is to make sure that we never lose sight of this authenticity and, and, um, and so that's one thing that I will, you know, suggest to anybody who will listen to me about this brand or any brand <laughs> is just that people get it. People, people recognize it. There is a 
sincerity, a genuineness, and authenticity that's just undeniable. And and again, this is one of those things you can't hold it in your hand. You right. can't, can't measure it, it. But 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 it's so real. Oh. And 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 I guess that's one of the the things that I would you know point to. If there isn't that foundation of authenticity, it's tough. And, and that comes from founders who, you know, give a damn, who care about whatever it is they're making and why they're making it. And, um, and, and we were, and I was just the, the benefactor of a great deal of that authenticity in acquiring the Scharfenberger oh, brand. Amazing. So cool. So excited uh, for you. And what a fun experience um, to, to in, in a couple of really cool experiences that you've had in growing a brand and in different circumstances and, and um, just powerful. Share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, connect with the brand, buy the product, etc. Well, I mean, the, the most obvious and simplest <laughs> is, is direct to consumer. That's nothing, right. <laughs> nothing we would rather do than interact with people directly. So, you know, uh, on our site, and it's uh, scharfenberger.com, it, it is, it, it's, it's a, it, we have a really, I think, a really, um, I hope, a, a positive reflection of what the brand and what it's all about. And, um, and so I would invite people to check that out and, and buy it direct. Uh, obviously it's, it's available nationally throughout the United States. Um, but, but buying it from us direct to consumer is important because at that point we can stay connected. And, and again, that's important to us, not to say that we don't completely, uh, acknowledge the role that retailers play, but we lose sight oftentimes of consumers uh, and consumer feedback when the business is done through a third-party retailer. Absolutely. And and so again, there's nothing that I like more than to stay connected with uh, with consumers and get feedback from and and that feedback comes from oh my gosh, just so many places in so many forms, and it's all so important to listen. To the consumer, and so that's that 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 would be my favorite place for people to check us out. <laughs> is check us out online, buy some stuff online. Tell us what you think. Nothing makes me happier than hearing and receiving feedback from consumers, and um, I'm just delighted because more often than not, it's delighted consumers. Right. But but, but look, there there's 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 examples of that not being the case. Sure. And that every bit is important to me as as the you know as the contrarian positive view <laughs> totally. so it, it's always great to listen to consumers because at the end of the day that's who pays the bills right that's no doubt that's who matters and and we should always i mean if you're in the consumer goods business you just must be uh consumer centric and I, i'd certainly like to think we are I love it. Paul, this has been so cool. Um, unexpected stories on the bubblegum industry too, which I loved. And um, and learning more about Scharfenberger. I mean, such a great brand and I'm excited for where you guys are going. I hope you'll come back on down the road and share more with us as you continue to grow and evolve the brand. And I uh, really appreciate you being here today. 
Fantastic. You're welcome. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.